Well, good morning. My name is Mark Jennings. I'm a member here at South Shore Baptist Church and serve as an elder, and I have the honor of being part of the uh, preaching team as we work through the Gospel of John while our senior pastor is on sabbatical. Uh, this is an exciting morning. We are finishing up John chapter 10. Uh, we've been working through this, this chapter and these amazing things that, that Jesus has to say. And, and, and with this Sunday, uh, we will have um, finished this chapter. So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 42. But I want us to begin reading with verse 22. So please turn to John chapter 10, verse 22. That's page 1062 in your pew Bible. John chapter 10, beginning here with verse 22. Our focus will be verses 30 to 42. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe, because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and... Scripture cannot be broken. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. The word of the Lord. We've been looking at this conversation that Jesus has been having. And, and the context of this conversation is important. It's been occurring at the, the, the Feast of Dedication. It's been occurring at that celebration where the, the Jews have been um, 
remembering and uh, praising the Lord and celebrating for the uh, rededication of their temple, the recapturing, if you will, of the temple. This, this feast is also called Hanukkah. And it, it remembers when those days when a Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes, had control of the area and had uh, desecrated the temple. And it remembers the overthrowing and the recapturing and the rededication of the temple. So it is in this scene, this great festival, this, this feast, that we've been looking at this conversation that Jesus has been having with the Jews. And it, it has been centering around a, a critical question, a question I think each of us at some point ask. The, the question of verse 24, the Jews gathered round him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I think we've all asked a question at least similar to that with God. If you are real, just show me. If, if this is true, make it clear. If you're here, I want to know it. We've, we've all asked a similar question. And, you know, for the Jews, this question is an important question. If you are the Christ, if you are the one that we are looking towards, if you are the one who will, you know, lead the people, who will be the king and the military captain, who will, you know, make sure that these Romans who are currently occupying our land are taken out, let us know. We, we don't, don't give us any of these sort of metaphors or similes or, sort of, or, or what seems to be a circumlocution way of saying things. Just tell us plainly. It's the question they ask. And Jesus begins to answer this question. And as he's answering this question, uh, he, he first begins by giving a functional answer. Uh, the answer to the question of who he is, he answers in terms of what he does. You know, he is their shepherd. He is the, the one who will lay down his life for the sheep. He is the one who calls his sheep by name and, and they follow. He begins to give this functional definition. And, and as he's giving this functional definition of what he does, he, he does it in such a manner that he interweaves the relationship that he has with the Father. We see continually Jesus connecting who he is and what he does with God the Father. We saw it, you know, in verse uh, 15, you know, the, uh, last week. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We see it again in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. And then verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So as he's been answering this question, he has been doing so to say, look at what I do You want to know who I am, look at what I do. And what I do, I do in and with the Father. He has been building towards this clear answer of the question, are you the Christ? And the answer he wants to give them is the answer that Jesus so often does. He gives them an answer that is far beyond 
the scope of their question. Their question was, are you the Christ? His answer in verse 30 is, I and the Father are one. They wanted to know if he was the coming king. He answers, I and the Father are one. In the Gospel of John, from the very beginning, we have been reading and studying and examining and considering this great mystery. I and the Father are one. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I and the Father are one. This is where Jesus wants to lead them. This is the answer he is giving to their question. I and the Father are one. Now, this idea of the unity of the Son and the Father of, is, is not simply uh, an idea of ancient council debate. It is, it is not a discussion best suited for, uh, you know, uh, metaphysics and the, those conversations that happen in, in small rooms with, you know, mixed-matched furniture and half-eating muffins and calendars that are out of date, right? It's not that type of philosophical conversation. Look at the context when Jesus gives it. When Jesus makes the claim, I and the Father are one, he doesn't do it in the abstract. He does it in the very conversation that he's been saying how he's the shepherd, how he lays down his life, how he you know, calls his sheep. The, the, the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the unity of the Father and the Son is not simply a, a theological theological or theoretical interest. It matters at its most critical point. It matters in the coming of the Son to call, to save, to preserve, and to protect God's people. That's where Jesus presents it. The the mystery of the Trinity isn't something to simply go, okay, it's critical. If it, if it doesn't matter in our life, if it doesn't matter in our salvation, then what is it but just an idea? For Jesus, it is essential to understanding who he is and what he does. As we read in Hebrews to start the service, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. It matters. They ask a loaded question. They ask a loaded question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the one who will lead the forces and invade Rome and vindicate Israel? They ask a loaded question. He gives them a nuclear answer. I am not simply a military figure. I am the invasion of heaven into the bent creation. I am the word become flesh. I am Emmanuel, 
I'm leading an invasion, but it's not against the, the generals of Rome. It is against sin and flesh. And as Paul says to the Galatians, you know, all the powers of this evil age that enslave. I am Emmanuel. He, they ask, are you the Christ? And he says, I and the Father are one. And that's when things start to get interesting. You see, that is not a simple answer to just go, okay, thank you. We, you answered our question. We appreciate that, Jesus. They now have a problem. That is not a simple answer. They, they, you know, they probably really wanted, there probably was this desire for Jesus to say, yes, I am the Messiah. I mean, think about it. How great would it be to go into battle with Jesus as your general? First of all, he's like his, his own walking mess hall. Uh, you would never have to have supply lines. Right? If the soldiers are hungry, he can feed them. You don't have to worry about any of that. He's his own walking mass unit. Right? If the, the soldiers get injured, he... Fixes them, sends them up to battle. Who, what nation would have the resources to go up against a Jesus-led military? You know, I mean, they really probably, I think, wanted him to say, yes, that's who I am. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't allow them to think of Jesus and consider him, you know, in accordance with the great kings of the of the age, or consider him in accordance with the prophets of old, or even with Moses. He doesn't allow that. If they're going to follow him, and he has plainly said, I and the Father are one, that means they have to acknowledge he is God. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You have to say, you are God. That is a tough proposition. That is a difficult place. So it's not surprising we see their response in verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Of course, this isn't the first time we've seen this. There's a reason for the word again. We saw it in John 5, and Jesus makes a similar claim to unity with the Father. We saw it in John 8, when Jesus makes a claim, you know, before Abraham, I am, making a a statement about his preexistence and his divinity. And both times, stoning, you know, became a real possibility. This scene had to be crazy. I mean, picture this scene. First of all, it's a festival. Festivals, by sheer definition, run you know, rampant with emotion. And it's a festival about the temple rededication from a foreign power that's occurring in a capital city currently occupied by a foreign power. So there's already emotion. And then Jesus shows up, and wherever Jesus shows up, it seems things always get amped up a bit. Things always seem to get a little more volatile. 
And in, in the middle of this, there's this sort of fervor. Are you, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And, and, and Jesus has the audacity to say, I am God. I and the Father are one. And then people start picking up stones. I mean, can you, the emotion that must have been going at, at, at Mach 2. I'm sure if you're there, you're, you know, you're, you're sitting there going, okay, what's about to happen? This is... This has just gone off the hook. This is, this is crazy. If you have kids, you're starting to back up a little bit. If you have a storefront, you're starting to think, please, you know, do not let my store be vandalized. Because once a mob gets going, who knows where it's going to go? It seems like everyone is losing their head. Except Jesus. Jesus is not losing his head. Jesus is not uh, over emotional. Jesus is not succumbing to the gravity of the events because Jesus knows he's not going to die here. I have the power to lay down my life and bring it up. Jesus is not worried that they might stone him. There are others who probably are thinking, is this the end of Jesus? He's not thinking that. He has said, I decide. The moment of my death is my decision. They, they have no... They are, they are impotent in being able to kill Jesus at this moment because he determines when that moment will be. And this isn't the hour. He keeps his head. He's in control. And as this fervor, as they are picking up the stones to kill him, he, he begins to offer them some questions. And I find the, find the questions fascinating. He begins to examine their motives. And the, and the first question, the first question we, we, we see from Jesus is in, in verse 32. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? First of all, I love the fact he still says from the Father. Right? He's not giving any ground. There was no gaff, you know, earlier. This was full intent. He says, for which of these are you going to stone me? Now, this is a bit of a sticky wicket for the Jewish leaders who are, who are the, for the mob. Because no one really wants to say, well, we're going to stone you for making that blind person see. No one gets behind a program, death to Jesus, because he feeds people. You know, I mean, that, that is just not an effective rallying cry. You know, just, you know, so so they, they don't want that. That's not going to work for them. They, they said, no, no, no. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They want to separate what Jesus did from what he says. From what he does, from what he says about what he does. They want to, they want to say, no, we're not stoning you for feeding people. We're stoning you for what you say about who you are. That's the middle line we want to go. You know, I understand that middle line. I think you understand that middle line. I think we 
do that. We have a tendency to want to separate Jesus, the miracle worker, from Jesus' words. We, we have a tendency to want the Jesus who can cure the cancer, who can heal the disease, who can mend the body. We don't always want the Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. We, we want the Jesus who can get us a job, who can be the job creator, who can be the, the career planner, who can help miraculously restore our finances. Yet we don't want the Jesus who says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I understand what the mob is doing. We, we want the Jesus who can calm the storm. But we resist the one who says, they will hate you and despise you because of me. We want the Jesus who can turn the heart and fix the relationship. We don't want the Jesus who says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. I understand the mob. I am drawn so easily towards the Jesus, the fixer. Jesus, the one who does good things. While cringing sometimes at the one who says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of those who are not my sheep. But here's the thing. Jesus does not allow such a separation to be made. He doesn't allow you to say, yes, you can have what I do, but not what I say. He doesn't allow this sort of division to happen. Because what Jesus does and what Jesus says point to the same thing. They are not disparate testimonies. Both his actions and his words are the same melody of a single symphony that proclaims the full divinity of Jesus. That he is the revelation of God. That he is God. They they both say the same thing. He does not allow such a separation to be made. The mob is attempting. We attempt. But as he has said time and time again about his miracles, they show who he is as much as his words do. The mob, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a a mere man, claim to be God. Now, blasphemy is a very specific charge. Blasphemy is the charge that is levied towards one who has made sacrilegious statements about God. Blasphemy is a charge that is is based upon an accepted teaching uh, regarding the divine. And and for first century Jews, that teaching, of course, was the scriptures uh, and, and their traditions. 
So they are accusing Jesus of standing in blasphemy. They're, they're forming a, a, a theological vigilante lynch mob because they, they feel what he has said is sacrilegious. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus' response has been an interesting moment of study here. Because what Jesus says in response to this charge of blasphemy isn't exactly what I always would have expected. What I would have expected from Jesus would have been something uh, you know, uh, to the effect of, I, I don't need your testimony. My testimony about myself is true. Or perhaps, because he's going to quote quote scripture, I I would have expected some sort of reference to a prophetic claim, you know, that would sort of show who he is. Instead, he he quotes from Psalms 82. And we're going to look at it in a second, but I want to read it in the context of John before we do. So here we are in verse 34, Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods, little g. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, then he'll continue, and we'll pick up verse 36 in a second. But here's here's the passage he's quoting. They have said to him, you claim as a mere mortal to be God. And Jesus says, well, doesn't it say in the word of God that there are folks called gods, little g? What is that? And, you know, let, let's look at it. Turn, uh, keep, keep something, I don't care, your kid's finger, something here in, in chapter John. And, and let's go to Psalms 82, uh, page 583 uh, in your pew Bible. I'm going to go to Psalms 82, page 583. So this is the psalm that Jesus is using in response to the charge of blasphemy. I'll start with verse 1. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods, little g. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Here's our verse. I said, you are gods, little g. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, big G. Judge the earth. For all the nations are your inheritance. What is Jesus doing? This seems like a passage I would not have expected. They are accusing him of claiming to be God. Of claiming to be God's son. And he says, well, wait a minute. Doesn't your scripture say that there are those who can be addressed as gods? Little g, who are not God? I mean, what, whatever the audience or the target is of that psalm, and there's some debate. Some say it's, it's the judges of Israel. Some say it's the prophets. Some say it's Israel itself. We know Israel's called God's son. 
Some say it's the angels. That really doesn't matter for our purposes today. Because whatever the target is of that psalm that we just read, the, the, the meaning is clear. There is a reference to something that's not God that's called God's little g. Sons of the Most High. And, you know, you, re, you get through this and it, it, it almost feels icky what Jesus is doing, right? Too clever by half. That he's, he, he's dodging the question. Like, it's almost as if he's saying, well, why are you so upset that I've called myself God? Because scripture says lots of things or people or nations can use the term God. Why would he do that? It's, you know, so I'm going through that and problematic and, and comforting is I wasn't the only one that had problems with this. Uh, uh, you know, John Piper calls it a maneuver. You know, there, there are uh, other people who call it a, a device or they see it as an opportunity for Jesus to create some space or maybe he's trying to poke fun at the mob or trying to show how they themselves don't really know scripture. There's lots of different thoughts on this. Now, at one level... I, 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 I can relate. Right? There, we, we've all sort of done what Jesus seems to be doing here. It's not what I think he's doing. But what Jesus seems to be doing here of sort of manipulating Scripture to sort of fit, you know, an argument or an advantage. I was in, I was in high school. I just graduated from high school. Uh, so it was back in uh, 1991. And one of the gifts my parents gave me for graduation, was the permission to pierce my ear. Right? Now, remember, this is early 90s where, you know, it wasn't yet all that, you know, common. And this was like early 90s in a small farm town in Illinois where I grew up. Right? And so at first I thought, wow, what, what freedom. Now I realize it was really a cheap gift. Um, you know, just <laughs> permission to do something. I love it. Um, so, you know, I go and I do this. I get, I get my ear pierced. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was full-on rolling cool. Earring, ponytail, yeah, I was. Um, and, and so I'm, I, I'm working at a Dairy Queen, and I have, and I have, and I, and I have my earring, and this, this uh, older gentleman comes up, uh, very senior in years, and, and he looks at me, and he sees my earring, and, and he says, you know, no right man pierces his ear. I was ready. I grew up in a church, so I was ready. So I said, well, it says in Leviticus that a slave who is consecrating themselves to their master will run an all through their ear as an indication of their devotion. And I have done this for Jesus. <laughs> right? What? What a jerk. Right? But, but we've done this. We've all done this where we take a little passage of Scripture and use it in some sort of debate. And it, it, seems, it seems that Jesus is almost dodging the issue that he is saying, you really can't call me a blasphemer because technically there are people who can call gods. There had to be an appeal to this at first. There had to be those who want some sort of middle ground. Who want to say, well, I don't want to stone you, Jesus. Or I don't want to worship you either. 
Maybe I can find a middle place to put him. Some sort of artistic license. Some sort of, um, you know, maybe a little discomfort with the language. But some place that allows me to mitigate between those two poles. It seems like he's doing that. But of course he isn't. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. You know, if he had ended with verse 35, maybe it would have seemed like a very effective maneuver. But he doesn't end with verse 35. The, the sense is he almost says, if, if theoretically, if you look in Psalms, there are ways that this kind of language I'm giving can be used. There are ways that that can be used, but guess what? That's not how I'm using it. I am the one set apart. I am the unique son of God. I am the unique God the son. I am the one consecrated for this. Remember, this is in the the festival where they're celebrating the consecration of a sacred space known as the temple where there is the, you know, the, the presence of God you know, was supposed to have uniquely dwelt. And Jesus is saying, I am the one set apart. I am the unique presence of God. I am the one. I am the sacred space set apart. There, are, there aren't two options. There is blasphemy. Or you are God. You know, the, the, the mob they, the mob correctly understood what Jesus had said. But they had failed to understand that what Jesus had said was correct. But they understood it. They just didn't believe it. So he's, 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 he's in, in the middle of this moment, this, this back and forth, what, what had to seem like a crazy back and forth. I'm going, I'm going to kill you. Wait, not because of your miracles, because of what you said. Or maybe you didn't say what I thought you said. Oh, you did say what I thought you said. You know, it, just, it had, to be, had to be crazy. And in the midst of this, Jesus continues, Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. I don't think Jesus says all of this, why why, why people are standing with the stones in their hand because he wants to create space for him to escape. I don't think it's a delay tactic. I don't think it's a device. I don't think it's a maneuver. I think he wants to create space, but it's not for him. It's 
for the mob. I don't think he's worried about his own life right here. I think he's worried about their life. And he offers, even in these moments, these frantic moments, this final appeal. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. (laughs) Jesus is telling them, I get that what I'm saying is hard. And if you're not there, if you're not there, I get that. Believe a miracle. Believe what the miracle says. Start there. That might appeal very much to you right now. You're, you're here and, and, and you're listening to uh, you know, what, what, what Jesus says about himself. You're hearing what I am saying. You've been hearing what Pastor Seth has been saying, what Pastor Godwin has been saying, you know, what the preaching team has been saying. And, and, and you're like, I, that's too much for me. I just, that's too much. But something has happened in your life that you can't explain away. Something has happened where you're like, that had to be God. Maybe it was a miraculous medical you know, uh, event in your life or in the life of someone you know. Maybe it was the... The, the, the hiring of a job when everything else seemed destitute. Maybe it was the relationship that seemed always broken that now was healed. Maybe, maybe it was, uh, you know, some storm in your life that got calmed. Maybe it was just being here today where all you know is somewhere in your heart, and this had, I don't know how it happened, but it had to be God. Start there. Start there. Believe that. If you say to yourself, that had to be God, believe that. Hold on to that. If the Lord has shown you that, yes, that moment in your life where I inserted myself, yes, that was me. Man, hold on to that. Because his deeds and his words testify to the same thing. That he and the Father are one. If that's all you got right now is just that one miracle, hold on to that. Because our God is good. He is good all the time. And He will show you. And He will reveal Himself to you. He wants to bring you to that beautiful confession. The, the confession that the gospel of John is building towards. We're going to get to the end of this gospel. And we're going to see Thomas, the one who doubted, is going to look at the resurrected Jesus. And he is going to utter the words that Jesus wants all of us to utter. Which is, my Lord, my God. If all you have right now is that moment, go with that. Know that that's from God because it testifies and he will bring you. He will bring you. If you are hearing his voice, you are his sheep and he will bring you to my Lord, my God. You know, these, these, this mob had stones in their hands and it wasn't too late to hear Jesus' call. 
but it was too much for them to take. In verse 39, again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. It was too much for them to take. They didn't, they couldn't believe. The choice was between bowing the knee and throwing the stone. And they chose the stone. You know, our our chapter doesn't end there. It does not always end with one choosing the stone. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. John says, when he heard the voice of Jesus, it was a joyful voice. It was hearing the bridegroom. Drop the stone and hear the voice of your shepherd. Lord, Lord, God, you are the unique Son of God, God the Son. You hold us, you keep us, you protect us, you called us, you saved us because you are God. Help me, help me Jesus, help each of us to see your miracles for what they are and your words for what they are as the great proclamation that God is with us. Lord, you are God. Why? Why? In in your great sovereign plan, you revealed yourself to each of us who were holding the stones. I do not know. Lord, each of us were calling you a liar and a blasphemer, yet you called us. And somehow in in the cacophony of desiring to kill you, we heard the voice of our shepherd, the voice of our God. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It is in your name, the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. You are my Lord and my God. In that beautiful name, the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.